And so we're in the book of Revelation again. We're going to be reading from the book of Revelation, beginning at chapter 1, in verse 10, going down to through the 17th verse today. And we're going to be looking at who Jesus is primarily today. Because as John was declaring these truths, we're going to see a great teaching, probably the most explicit teaching in the entire word on who Jesus is. Sometimes we might think about who he was, but we're looking today at what John physically saw as he beheld Jesus and he saw with clarity who Jesus is. And then we're going to see for just a moment as we conclude, not only who Jesus is, but what happened to John when he saw who Jesus is. And read with me, beginning in, in, in Revelations chapter one, we'll begin reading in verse 10, and I will go down through verse 17 this morning. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergium and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching down to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. Verse 14, his hair, head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to grow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. I want to tell you a story as we begin this message about a woman that Deb and I brought to church here several years ago. Her name was Wendy. She works in the southern part of China in medical missions with hospitals providing for the care right now in a very active way. Wendy came to America because she got a grant from GCU, and for the first time in her life of 50 years, she walked into a free country. And for the first time ever in her life, she walked into a free church right here. 
And as she walked through the doors of that church with Deb and I, she turned and she said, I see and feel the spirit of God in this place. And chills went up my spine. Wendy's a very unusual girl. She's amazing. Uh, she was a translator for me at my best friend's wedding in China, marrying a very, very dear friend of Chinese translator that had walked with me for a long time. It was there, Wendy said, John, I want you to give me a very clear outline to the message because I don't know English as well as Sarah, your translator, so give me a real clear outline. And we were blessed to be able to perform this ceremony in front of about 300 Chinese Christians in a large hotel. And I gave her the outline and she interpreted for me and we got all done. I said, Wendy, how did it go? And she looked at me and she said, uh, I learned one thing about you. You don't stay with your outline. And I said, I'm sorry, Wendy, I kind of moved the way the Spirit of God leads me. And she says, so do I. And what happened, we took Wendy on that trip. It was about five days she stayed with Deb and I after she was done with her college. And we took her up here to Sedona. She had never seen a helicopter before in her life. She wanted to ride in a helicopter. So we decided to choose one of those charter services to to fly up there around Sedona, and we did. And it was such an amazing thing because Wendy is so vibrant, so enthusiastic about the Lord, so enthusiastic about God's creation. All she did was just simply go, wow, wow, wow. And we told Wendy goodbye, and I can still remember a girl who had left me several words from God that are coming to pass and I stand in front of you hearing words from God from that girl. But from the time she left here several years ago, we never talked to her again. We still were involved in some levels of connection with the missions that Wendy's involved in. But when this happened, when the virus broke out in China, Wendy was very active in that. And then she heard it was coming to America. And she did something that I want to share with this church because this is really what the family of God does. She reached out to churches throughout southern China. And she says, I know a church in America that's going to need the very best masks that are available for some people as that epidemic keeps spreading. And she says, I want to get, give them as many masks as we can give them and the people she reached out to were the poorest of the poor. They had nothing, but they had everything because they had Jesus. And last week, I received a note that says 400 masks are coming to your place from the churches of China. And when it, when it came, I thought, you know what's amazing about times like this? It just breaks down walls that should have never been there. There's a big body of water that separates us from a place like China, but sometimes we just forget that there are brothers and sisters too, and they remember us as their brothers and sisters. And this morning, this very morning, Wendy wrote a note that was passed back to me from another person in China when she had heard about my response, and here's what Wendy wrote. She says, we really care about our brothers and sisters in the States. 
since we are a family in the Lord, we pray desperately for America. Chinese churches have been blessed by American churches, and it is time we Chinese churches bless others. So this week, DHL will be delivering to our home 400 masks that I want you to pray with me on how we can share them as time goes go on. She went on and she said this that I just leave with you. She says, I really miss being with John and Debbie. But she says, don't forget the virus is anywhere and it really kills human pride. Somewhere in everything that happens, God is working. And I know we are hearing about all types of approaches and distancing and medicines and everything. But for the church, we must remember God is still working. He is still alive. He's on the throne and he is also speaking. And we need to keep praying, God, give us wisdom. And I want to show you a picture up here of something shared by a rabbi from Israel last week. And I'm indebted to one of our staff members for giving me this clip. But this is the health minister, Yaakov Lisman. He is the head of the ultra-Orthodox United Torah Judaism Party. And here's what he says. He says, we are praying and hoping that the Messiah will arrive before Passover, the time of our redemption. I am sure the Messiah will come and bring us out of Egypt. Soon we will go out in freedom and the Messiah will come and redeem us from all the troubles of the world. And the message we have as we're looking this morning in the book of Revelation is yes, the Messiah has came. The Jewish people and many others missed his coming. But there is another great truth we're going to see that we don't ever want to let go of in our study of the book of Revelation. And that is the Messiah is coming again. He could come before Passover. There's nothing that keeps him from coming for his bride. But there are many indicators that we find in the book of Revelation of events that still must take place before the very end of time that will move to, toward the end of the age, still the church looks for a translation to be, brought, be caught out. We'll look at this further as we go further into this, this study later. And really, in many ways, the only answer is what our dear rabbi was saying. The only real answer to all the problems of man, all the problems of the world, is the return of Jesus, the Messiah coming for his people. And we are looking forward to that time together. Now, as we, we begin this study, we see John has, remember he had got his walking orders in one sense in verse 11. The Lord had said, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. And today we're going to see Jesus in just a few descriptive verses and to see with, with, in beauty who Jesus really is. And he turned, he saw the voice, and having turned, I saw seven golden 
lampstands. And the first thing John saw was these seven golden lampstands. There's no lamp on there. He's looking at the lampstand itself. It's not like the menorah. The menorah, everything in Israel's time was tied perfectly together. Here you have seven golden lampstands that John sees together. They're together, but they're separate. It's a beautiful picture in many ways of the church that John will be writing to. The church throughout the ages has been together in spirit, but separated in the flesh. Cultures have separated us. Climates have separated us. Oftentimes, even minor theological beliefs separated the church. But John begins to see these seven golden lampstands, and he recognized the lamps that would glow in them would be completely ineffective unless there was fire and oil within the lamp. And as we look at the lampstand, see it like the church, there is only, the only way that lampstand will have power is when the fire and oil of the Lord is in. When Jesus isn't in the church, the church is powerless. You might have a big building. You might have a great leadership team. You might have a great worship team. You might have good teaching. But if Jesus isn't in the church, the church is powerless. Without Jesus, we're nothing. But John, he sees these seven lampstands, and here they are. And in the middle of the lampstands, let's get this because this is so important. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of God. In the middle, we see Jesus. Let's get this because John will be writing to the churches shortly. He's already got his walking papers. But what John is seeing is Jesus is in the middle of the church. If Jesus is on the outside of the church, the church becomes powerless. If Jesus is not the head of the church, the church becomes ineffectual. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. But John saw something that is so important. And there it was, he saw these seven lampstands, each centered around the sinner, Jesus. And here he begins to see, I saw one like a son of man. And then he describes this person, clothed in a robe. I want us to look at this like the priestly robes such as Aaron and Moses would have wore. I believe about 90, around 90 times in the Bible, the word, the high priest is used, a very special calling. But John is beholding Jesus and he's seen the great high priest, the one true priest of priests. And notice what he said. He says he's like a son of man clothed in a robe and the robe reaches down to the feet and girded around his chest with a golden sash. And here John is speaking about the priestly apparel that goes with the robe that describes the honor and glory and magnificence of Jesus. And here John, as he's beholding this son of man, he is beginning to see the great high priest. 
Hebrews 2 and 17 just simply says, there he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And John was seeing this great high priest as he beheld the Lord. Notice with me how he starts seeing different attributes and qualities as he beholds the person of God. The closer we get to seeing the person of God, the greater impact it begins to have upon our lives, our thoughts, our decisions, everything that happens in, in our life. Notice something else that he begins to see. Verse 14, he begins to see his head and his hair. His, hair and his, his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. Notice his head, though. And here you see white. And you're seeing like white wool. You're seeing wisdom. I think of Jesus, and Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, that in him is given to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And as John is beholding Jesus in his robes, his high priestly robes, and then in his hair and the whiteness of that hair, you are seeing the magnificent beauty and purity of Jesus. You're also seeing the Jesus is eternal. Oftentimes our hair gets a little bit, we get a little bit older, the hair starts getting gray. We start looking more senior. We have that look and it just follows people naturally through their life. Here is Jesus, though. John sees Jesus with pure white hair and a pure white head. And here we find John coming closer and closer into an encounter with the living Lord before he's going to write the, the messages to the churches. You know, oftentimes when Jesus calls men and women to to follow him, there's one thing that must happen before they follow. They can have all the information. They can have all of the, the credentials. They could have even had the calling. But if there is not an encounter with the living Lord to where they see, we see the Lord in his magnificence, his power, his beauty, his glory. We will not go out with the message. And this is what's happening with John. He's looking, he sees his high priestly side. He now looks and he sees his hair in his head. And things are happening as John began this picture that will, this message will unfold that he will pass on to the churches that will just keep on flowing even throughout the entire book. Daniel, I, I don't want to get very far from Daniel in this study because it is so parallel in many ways the book of Revelation. Daniel as a prophet was given such a clarity of vision. He didn't always know what that vision portrayed, but he was given an amazing vision of God. And I'm going to read to you two different passages that have companion references to what we're just reading and diving into this morning in the book of Daniel. The first is Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days 
took his seat. His vesture was, was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. His wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were open. Daniel goes on, chapter 10, verses four through seven, recording more of this same vision, but at a little different place that he sees of the Lord. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of gold, look at the parallel, of Ophaz. His body was also like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words were like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell upon them, and they ran away to hide themselves. When we see the Lord like this, we have two choices. We can come toward him, or we can run from him. And, and Daniel is describing under Bab Babylonian captivity what was happening. When they saw the Lord like this, these men ran. They did not want anything to do with that kind of thing. But notice in verse 14, I want to pick up. We've already saw that his hair and his head were white like white wool like snow, and they're there we have snow and wool to compare to his hair and his head. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. Notice how parallel with Daniel this is, like a flame of fire. You see, in his eyes was revealed what was within. Often, often eyes do that. You can look in eyes and you will see care. You'll see compassion. Or you can, you, you'll find love. Or you can find hatred. You can find dis, uh, pride. You can find all types of things. But here Daniel looks and he sees those eyes and they were just like a flame of fire. It was like his eyes were on fire. And he goes on and goes further over the, the body. His feet were like, verse 15, like burnished bronze as it had been made to glow in a furnace. And here here John looks and he sees that the feet of the Lord were like bronze. But notice it was burnished bronze. Like other translations say like fine brass. So it was the way brass is refined is through heat, through fire, through a flame. And John is simply seeing the refining fires of judgment in which Jesus' very feet represented. It will not be long that we'll remember Jesus very shortly going to the cross and giving his life, dying for our sins. 
And I think about that in light of this, this, this burnished bronze. And it was there that Jesus took our sin upon himself. He bore the weight of the world upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And here John is speaking, or, or Paul here writing in Corinthians is speaking about how it was that Jesus experienced our judgment, our fire, our contempt, our reproach, our penalty, that he could cleanse us from sin. But here John looked and he saw that his feet were like burnished bronze and as it had been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And here it is, we see something out, something else that we see that John is describing, and that is that his voice right here was that which was a sound of all kinds of waters at the same time. I don't know how many of you have ever been up in one of the mountain regions where you have many canyons and you have all kinds of rivers flowing into lakes from little trickling streams to roaring rivers. But in those places, you began to get just a moment, a picture of what the sound of many waters would be. They just come, and one thing about them, I could sleep the best in, the, in the, listening to those, those, those waters. I used to work up in the forest of the Cascade Range mountains a lot. And sometimes I would stop and eat my lunch at a place that I think... The noise of that water is so amazing and so beautiful. But here the word of God says his voice was like the sound of many waters. When I think of that, I think of a place, and I don't know, we used to take young men up in the Sierra Nevada's mountain range. And up there at about 10,000 feet, there is a waterfall that we could hike into. It was somewhere around about a 10-mile hike, and it would take you up on top of granite, and by the time you get there, you're above the tree line, and you have this river that's flowing from one lake toward another, and it comes to a place in the granite, there is a big dish, and the, the water will go down to the dish, and it will reverse, and it is a water wheel in reverse that is spinning naturally because of the, the dish in the granite. And when you get there, you can't, if in, the, in the spirit, you cannot think of this. You will think about this because right at that point, there are other rivers that are flowing down to, on other portions of granite, but you will sit there and watch that water wheel go up about 30 feet in the air and just continually do a circular spin. And the water is cascading and crashing down that granite. And it is, it's magnificent. It is really, really amazing. Uh, many people hike there just to see the water wheel falls. But the word of God says that Jesus' voice are, is like the sound of many waters. I don't always know what that means completely. I give you a couple things to think about. 
But I do, I do give you one thing really important, and that is when Jesus speaks, everyone will hear his voice. Everyone. Our voices are all limited. We all have ways to communicate and other ways we don't communicate quite as well. But when you think of the sound of many waters with Jesus, I'm thinking of one who is just speaking with such truth and righteousness and glory that every word, every syllable is just reaching and touching and speaking in the most amazing way. And here John was beholding this. This is very important that we see here in this study because we won't get any further than just seeing this magnificent picture of Jesus today. We're gonna see what happens to John, but we'll stop for next week's message as we come, come back to this. But then if we keep going and following this, his eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, his voice like the sound of many waters. His right hand had seven stars. And maybe that's him holding the church there. This is my church. I have redeemed this church. You see, God jealously loves his people far beyond what we think. Paul could write that I'm, I'm jealous to the Corinthians over you with a godly jealousy. God's jealous love is amazing. God has perfect jealousy, but here his right hand held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Let's get, let's get what's coming out of his mouth. We've already looked for a moment at his voice is like the sound of the rushing of many waters, but now something's happening here. We have got, we've got out of his mouth comes the word of God. Tried, tested, resisted, denied, forsaken, but the word of God is still the same. Yesterday, to ever, today and forever. It was David who said, Lord, forever your word is settled in the heavens. And here we have something that is, is revealed to John, and that is that his word, his mouth came out like a sh- sharp two-edged sword in his face, like the sh- sun shining in its strength. Oh, I love that verse in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is a, a living, and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice with me, when that word begins to come from Jesus' mouth, how sharp it is, how penetrating it is. His word is truth in every place in which we've ever encountered his word. But when John comes to this point, he'll keep hearing this message coming to him. He will take that message to the churches first. He will take that message through the living word to people all the way down to the age, but his word is always true. 
His word is totally alive. It's a living word. It doesn't matter where you live. People have tried to defy the word, deny the Lord, ignore the word, quench the word, but the word is still alive today as it has ever been in any age and in any dispensation. Jesus Christ is alive. One of the great themes of the book of Revelation. And his word is powerful. It is sharp. What he says will come to pass. What Jesus says will happen, will happen. One place it says, a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he won't tarry, but it will happen. But there's one other point here we want to get here as we come to the end of the message, and that is, his face was like the sun shining in its strength. John has looked at a lot here very quickly that we've looked at very briefly with you. I would even encourage you to make a deeper study even in the Bible at the descriptions that we're going over in just a short time. But if you look with us at the, first he, at the robes of Jesus and then we saw his head and his hair, his eyes, his feet, his voice, his right hand and out of his mouth came the, sh the sharp two-edged sword and then he says something as John beheld the very countenance of Jesus, he said his face was like the sun shining in its strength. What John was beholding was the glory of God just shining through Jesus. I've wondered at times if heaven itself will need no other light but the glory of God. One verse in Revelation says the Lamb is the light of of heaven. And there it is when Jesus unveils that glory and that glory just shines. It'll pick up every corner. There'll be no shadows. There's no night there. His light is eternal. And John looks and he says, his face was like, just like the sun shining in his strength. I see God in the face of Jesus because Jesus and God are one. He is the living God. His spirit is one and Jesus and, and God are one. And John has been seeing a lot here. A lot is happening to John as he looks at this, I'm sure. But God was taking John to a place that he wanted him to behold the very face, the countenance, and person of Jesus before he began to write. Some of you here today are at a place just like that. I don't know where that is, but God is at a place with you in your lives, that he wants you to see first him before you go to them. Because if we don't see him, we really have no message when we go to them. Because something happened to John, and I'm just going to end the message with this, is when John saw Jesus, and he saw his glory, he saw his magnificence, Verse 17, we'll get it, we'll touch this more later. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. John was done. There was no glorying. There was no personal strength. There was no agenda. It was gone. He fell before the Lord like a dead man. He was done. And then it was that he, that he placed his right hand on me and says, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last, I am the living one. And what he was saying here that's so important, we'll hit this next week, is John, 
I am the one who carries the message. It is my life that bears witness to the truth. And I am the living one. And then he said, I am alive. Behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and of Hades. And John was getting close to ready to start to write. A lot had happened to John already in a short period of time on that island called Patmos. He'd seen the Lord. He'd heard the message. He had been isolated from his church. He was beginning to see visions of God. He saw an angel that came to him. And then he fell down just like a broken man and said, I don't have anything, Lord, apart from you. And something amazing was happening. You know, when I think of the gifts that are coming to this church as mass, that I'm asking all of you to pray for wisdom on how to distribute as the time comes. God has put these on their hearts, the Church of China. I cannot help in the study here of thinking of what happened with Deb and I back in the year of 2003. When we said yes to God, we'll just go to China. We'll go one time. We have friends there. I've been reading about the church there. I'd love to see a few of the believers. I'd love to just get out there and we'll go to China. And I remember Dev and I talking about what we should pray as we went to China. And somewhere within our communication, we said, let's just pray that God will give us the grace to not only see to China and to the church, but through China and through the church to the God who is doing the work in that country. We didn't know what we were praying I'd never went to a foreign country like that, and I thought it'd be one trip. But what happened was just that. We got there in 2003. For the first time, we looked in the eyes of brothers and sisters suffering for their faith, who had nothing but had everything, who were praising God in ways that probably would astound almost all of us in the sanctuary or who are listening here today. Their heart was so full of worship that I began to see something that just caught me, that we, are, we came here to see the Church of China and see China. Yes, we saw the Forbidden City. We saw the Great Wall. We saw things like that. We ate good Chinese food. But something else happened in that trip that changed our life. We saw the living Lord working in such a way in people that he loved that we could not even comprehend it. It was at that time we had no idea that for the next 15 years of our life, God would take us back on 15 trips into that country. In some of the most unusual areas of persecution and destruction and famine, to teach young developing leaders to go on and take that torch of Jesus out and share the gospel, we had no idea. But one thing we knew is that we had seen the living Lord and we could not turn back. It would not work. We were now accountable to God like we had never been accountable because we had seen him through his people in such a way that we were required by his grace to respond. 
And that was our life. That was how we took, began going to China. And that's what happens in that. It's just kind of like that big wheel we talked about at Waterwheel Falls. It's just like a big old circle that just keeps flowing. And what goes out comes back in the spirit. And yes, we were able to bless the churches of China, possibly in little ways, almost unseen. But with it, the church of China is now rising up to bless us. And I pray that through this time, God will just take all of us to place that we can, we can see him working in the church without walls, not the Chinese church and the American church or the Spanish church, but the church that he has purchased with his own blood, that he has written this epistle to, that we can follow him and do whatever he wants. For each one of you here today, I leave this with you as we close, that the greatest privilege this side of heaven is the privilege of, is, of having a true encounter with the living Lord, meeting him face to face, seeing him in his glory, in his brightness, in his radiance. And as you do, and as we do together, and maybe even during a time like we're in, it will come because of the circumstances that surround us like never before. I don't know, God knows. But as we do, like John, I pray that we can just come before God and just hear his voice and see his beauty and follow him knowing we're serving and following a faithful creator. If you have not heard his voice, today is the day of salvation. The word of God so clearly says that. If you will hear his voice, it says don't harden your heart. Don't turn back because today is the day of salvation. And I pray that this very day, wherever you are watching, whoever you are, wherever you're sitting, it might be in your living room, you might be by yourself, this is the day the Lord has made for salvation. And I appeal through the power of the Spirit of God that you would consider the living God who loves you so much that he gave his life for you today. And you can just simply say, Lord, here I am. And I confess you as the Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to come in to my heart and cleanse me from sin. I confess that I am a sinner, God. I confess without you I am nothing. But Lord, I have seen you today. And just like my, my brothers and sisters throughout the world, I join them to follow you in these last days. Come quickly into my life, Jesus, and cleanse me and heal me. And then if you make that prayer, in whatever way God tells you, I also appeal you will go to a friend or a group of friends, even with all the social distancing that are there, and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. If we're not ashamed of Jesus here, he won't be ashamed of us. But confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Acknowledge Jesus. I have given my life to Jesus. I am a child of God. I want you to be my friend. I want to be accountable to you. I want to be able to study the word and talk with you and let God lead you in the way he so perfectly does 
because he is coming again. And that's one of the great truths of the book of Revelation is that Jesus is coming again. Let's be ready and let's give our lives to the Lord, but let's take time to stop like we have today and say, Lord, I just need to see your face again in all of your glory and in your magnificence. And then I will go and do what you want me to do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, which is alive. I thank you, God, that it never returns void. I thank you, Father, that you are perfect in every way. Your glory cannot even be described. Or even the eyes that were burning so brightly that John saw, how can we even look upon those and live? But you, through your spirit, have given us the power to call you our Savior and our Lord. And today we do, Lord, and we say, take us from this point on, wherever you want us to go, and lead us, and walk with us. And Lord, I also pray that throughout this world, you may be speaking to someone that doesn't live in America, even right now on this live stream. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be a part of your great gathering of the church together in the last days, that we'll let go of those differences that so easily beset us, and we'll lay aside our agendas with one desire, O Lord, that you will be king. And O Father, we know there's going to be a day you will be the king of kings and lord of lords, but we have the privilege today to call you our king our Savior, our Master. And I pray, Father, that in every heart here, every life, this can be realized this very day that we embrace your kingship, your lordship, and we acknowledge our need for you, but you are so sufficient. We're weak, Lord, but you're strong. Have your way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If any of you have responded to Jesus today in a very intimate way and have given your life to Jesus. You can even reach out through our website. You can reach out and there will be those to counsel with you. You might know someone that attends here or another church. Sit down with them and let God take you and just lead you. And one thing to remember in decisions like this is when you make them, the enemy is going to come in the door and try to break down that wall. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I pray that wherever you have made that decision, in the quietness of your little sanctuary, that is your heart, your spirit, your soul, that God will give you the grace and wisdom to find that mentorship and fellowship that you can go from here walking in the spirit and the day will come, just like that early church, that you will have the privilege to publicly profess the Lord Jesus and be publicly baptized, just like those early disciples, in his name, because you are his child. God bless you all. Have a blessed week, and we will give you, be giving you more correspondence during the week on events and things we can do together. Just may God bless you. And as Moses told the people, we give this to you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his face, may he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you.